Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Down the Middle with Doc and Zip, brought to you by GolfHQ.com. From tee to green and head to toe, GolfHQ.com is the place to go for all your golfing needs, and we are thrilled to have GolfHQ.com as our official sponsor, and we're going to talk more about that at the end of this episode. For now, though, let's kick things off. I'm Greg Goins. I'm here with my partner, Seth Zippe. Together, we are Doc and Zip, two guys that love this great game of golf, and we're ready to embark on this exciting new journey as we share this podcast with the golf community. So, Zip, I guess it's finally here, and we're really going to do this, my brother. We are here, my friend. This uh, idea came to the two of us just a little less than, I guess, a year ago, and here we are. Um, The time is now, so uh, very excited and looking forward to it, my friend. And I am as well. Uh, You and I are self-proclaimed golf nerds, and we can talk about probably the most useless golf information you can imagine. I would hate to think what we would talk about on like a 12-mile road trip or a 12-hour road trip somewhere. The stories we could tell and uh, all the useless golf knowledge we have, that'd probably be a fun ride somewhere, wouldn't it? It'd be entertaining for us. Let's hope it's entertaining to other people. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, before we dive into who we are and why we're wanting to do this particular podcast, um, you have some exciting news there uh, in Ohio. First of all, I'll tell you folks that Zip is a golf professional, and that's how we first met. But uh, you also have some new sticks, and you took the clubs out, play a little bit. You're a new Mizuno staffer. So tell us a little bit. How did it feel to be on the course here recently? It felt foreign uh, for the first couple holes, but I'll tell you what. The only reason I felt that way is because I have not played a round of golf since last early October. Um, Balancing, some, you know, knee injuries and, and of course the weather and then moving back here to Northeast Ohio, my hometown. I've uh, been a lot going on. Um, there's a lot of exciting things happening, not just in the game of golf globally, uh, but in, you know, my little corner of the universe in this great game of golf as well. I hope there's some exciting things happening with you. Also, but I mean, spring is finally here in the Midwest, Northeast Ohio. We finally had two nice days in a row. We had two 80 degree days uh, with sunshine. I mean, it, we just couldn't get away from the rain. It seemed like we would have one nice day and then six days of rain. These poor golf courses have been struggling to just, you know, get things started for the year and get in the swing of things. But I think we finally turned the corner here in the Midwest. Um, so, yeah, uh, it just so happened the first really nice day yesterday was the day that um, all my new uh, equipment from Mizuno came. Big shout-out and a thousand thank yous to my um, sales rep from Mizuno, Matt Mossman. Uh, he hooked me up. I'm so excited uh, to be back with them. I was actually a Mizuno staffer back in 2011 uh, when I was an assistant pro at a private club before I actually moved to Kentucky. And uh, – just happy to be with them again. Um, you know, I played okay. I hit a lot of good shots. I hit a few bad ones, which is going to happen. But, you know, um, a lot of pars were made. And uh, the irons are just phenomenal. I went with the 919, the JPX 919 uh, Hot Metal Pro irons. Um, the new ST driver is absolutely phenomenal. The S18 uh, black wedges are gorgeous. And uh, I'm excited. Um, you know, we'll get into a lot of equipment things um, throughout, you know, this show and others. You know, just it's just one of the um, areas of golf that we will talk about 
Uh, the sky's the limit, and we just hope everyone um, can sit back, relax with us, and enjoy themselves. Um, I talked about finally the weather turning the corner, and you know, people, <laughs> people just—I love people. Obviously, it's what I do for a living. But I, act, Greg Doc, I actually heard somebody yesterday out of how miserable and how long the winter has been. It was 85 and sunny yesterday, and I actually overheard somebody complain that it was too hot too quick, and they wanted to know where the spring 75-degree days were. They were upset we went from 50 to 85. Wow, and that guy was probably a single on the golf course. He had no <laughs> friend, right? He was a single, and he probably, uh, yeah, talked on his cell phone and, uh, you know, took a mulligan on every tee. He's one of those guys. But, no, he uh, – he was angry, and I don't know. I just, I just, you know, want to smack, smack the lips off his face. He, 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 that was highly irritating. He'll be shoveling snow in six months. We'll, exactly. We'll hear him complain then. <laughs> so uh, I know that uh, you've been with Mizuno before. You know, uh, Mizuno's always been kind of tagged as a, as a golf club for the the most highly skilled players, for the really good players. But, uh, you know, you could probably dispel that myth a little bit. You know, they have a line of clubs now that are really going to be good for all types of level of player, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, Mizuno was always known for their forged irons and blades and muscle backs, and those are notoriously known to be, you know, a little harder to hit, a little less forgiving. The sweet spot's smaller. They're heavier. Um, It's why a lot of scratch players and lower handicappers and tour players like them so much because they can still work the ball with them in a lot of – perimeter weighted cavity back irons you know their claim is to hit it high long and straight and there's nothing wrong with that obviously Um, but no a kind of a new genre of iron that I think Mizuno has um, perfected and specialized in the last six seven years is what you would call like a forged cavity back but I not only is Mizuno's forgings I, I feel the softest and the best feeling out there they do a um a a heat treated um, process on their irons that they call hot metal and it makes the club feel just like a forged iron you get a thin top line which is awesome at a dress um, it looks like a player's iron but it still has some perimeter weighting to it so there's a little room for air there you know which we all need sometimes if you do tend to you know if you have you know if you hit it off the toe or the heel a little bit so um, that forged cavity back genre of club is huge and it's so popular that it that's what a lot of the tour players are playing um no matter what brand they're with whether they're titleist callaway ping cobra whoever um only two percent of card carrying pga tour members play a true blade wow so yes so everyone thinks that's what all those guys out there play uh brooks kepka uh has won uh, two two of his majors with Mizuno JPX 919 irons. So I think that uh, probably speaks for itself, and he does not get a cent oh. from Mizuno for playing those. So that, uh, is, that might be the stat of the day right there. Right. Insider information from Team Mizuno. Cannot argue that. I mean, that's that right there is the best advertising you can ask for because it comes free of charge. That's right. So, Matt, if you're listening to the pod – uh, you know, we just did a three-minute spot for you here on uh, on Down the Middle with Doc and Zip. So feel free to send us all the Mizuno swag you've got, buddy. Matt Mossman, hook up my boy, Doc. 
Thank well, you. I'm glad you got to get out and play. I also heard that you had a little bit of trouble with your rangefinder. What's that all about? Or lack thereof. This is um, another uh, just um, sign to all of you that how long it's been since I actually got out and, and played and enjoyed myself. Couldn't find my rangefinder anywhere. Thought maybe I lost it from the move from uh, Kentucky back up to Ohio. Looked everywhere in my car. Everywhere in my golf bag, and I'm, I'm I'm still rocking the my carry bag, my stand bag. So there's not that many pockets I can lose it in. So I just thought to myself, you know, it's probably one of my many staff bags that I have in my garage, and um, I'll find it when I get home. But uh, so on a whim, on the first hole, and I'm going to give a quick shout out to this company too because it's an absolutely awesome app, and it's free. It's on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Um, golf pad is a free G- golf GPS for your smartphone. It, uh, you can keep score on it, keep track of putts. You can, you do have to upgrade and pay. I think maybe it was nine ninety nine a month. If you want to keep all your course statistics, I obviously didn't do that because it's kind of a one and done thing, but I kept it on my phone. Um, I'm not going to delete it. It was absolutely, uh, tremendous. It came in handy. The numbers, um, were right on because uh, the other two guys we were playing with in their cart, they had their uh, Garmin, you know, GPS watch. And the other guy had a laser, which is what I lost. But, um, yeah, golf pad, look it up, download it, uh, try the free one first. Like I said, it's very, very cool. Um, and the golf course we played was was on there. It took 10 seconds to find me. Um, so it was awesome. But uh, today, Doc – I um, kind of figured out exactly what the heck happened. <clears throat> so my uh, laser rangefinder um, went MIA, and I tried to think and think and think of where in the heck, where was I the last time I used it? And it was obviously last year at some point. And I bought one of those Frogger. It's like a Velcro strap that goes around the actual rangefinder. And then there's a smaller one um, that comes with it that you actually attach to the frame of the golf cart, like near where the windshield is, that metal bar there. And then there's a magnetic spot on that strap. And then there's one, there's like a magnetic nub on the strap that's around the rangefinder, and it sticks right in there. It's super, super strong. You can even stick it to a club head. The magnet's so good. So it's right there for you. You jump out of the cart, you grab it, you know, it's always there. You don't have to throw in the dash or the cup holder to the cart and risk it falling out when you hit a bump or going over a hill or something. So that was also missing. So that told me, hmm, I left it clipped to a golf cart somewhere. So I thought all the way back to the beginning of October when I played uh, in a pro-am in Louisville that um, I was always um, uh, lucky enough to play in with some of our amateur guys from the, the two clubs that you and I were associated with down there, or you're currently associated with. And I remember when we put it out on our last hole, the skies opened up and a monsoon came rolling in. So it was a mad scatter <laughs> to the car and it back into the clubhouse for the uh, dinner and the award ceremony. So I left my rangefinder magnetically clipped to that golf cart in the middle of that hurricane. And nobody called me. My name was on the golf cart on the cart sign because I was the pro in our group, obviously. And nobody called me to tell me I left it there. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not going to call them out. I'm not going to call the course out. I can't do that. I can't create any enemies on our first episode, 
maybe our fifth or sixth. So you said hurricane. I mean, was this a Caddyshack type scene in which uh, oh, yeah, it, you know, it was, the, the preacher was cutting out with the yes. bolt of lightning or set the stage for us? Yes, there was no um, – I keep playing, you know, th- that was the worst part of it. That was that was it. it <laughs> the worst was there. The skies opened up. It was hellfire, brimstone, lightning, hail, sideways. I even think there was a tornado warning at one point during that day because we did have a uh, – about an hour delay in the middle of play that day. So it was a long day. Well, this is probably also a good time for our very first public service announcement on the podcast. If you're one of those guys or girls that has a golf app, and we love all the golf technology here, Doc and Zip are big tech guys, but please go to the next tee and put in your data or put in your score. Do not do that on the green. I hate those guys, Zip. Some tells, some tells me we got an idea for an upcoming episode, Golf Pet Peeves. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I'm glad you got out and got a chance to knock it around a little bit. You know, they always say if you want to play golf, never get into the golf business. So you, <laughs> you got to dispel that rumor and get out and play a little bit today. Yeah, absolutely. And um, might even play tomorrow. Who knows? That'll be uh, that'll be a crazy turn of events if I play twice in three days. <laughs> well, let's kind of segue into uh, you know who we are and why we want to do uh, the golf podcast here. We've known each other for a while; have become good friends. You're in Ohio; I am in Central Kentucky. We actually worked together for a short time, so let's kind of tell the folks a little bit about our backstory. And uh, you know, you've got the honor on the first tee, so go ahead and play away. Four, please. Thank you, sir. Um, as Doc said, uh, my name is Seth Zippe. Uh, that's where Zip comes from. It's a long-time nickname. And, um, yeah, I'm a head golf professional. I'm back in the Northeast Ohio area. I actually uh, work at an off-course retail shop called Golf Headquarters. Uh, it's located in Youngstown, Ohio. And um, there we're going through a huge expansion. We've added about a couple thousand more square feet of um, floor space, of sales floor space. Uh, put in two brand new fitting bays, launch monitors. Uh, we have Foresight um, fitting launch monitor software. It's absolutely phenomenal. We're going to be adding the putter extension um, to that software here in the next couple of weeks. It's very, very similar to a Sam Lab. Um, so for all you golf tech geeks, you know, geeks guys out there like me and Greg, me and Doc, um, you know that that is very, very cool. There's not a lot of things out there to fit people for putters. Um, we're very excited to add this. Um, but yeah, that is um, golfhq.com is our home, is our website. Um, it's a national website. And you can order anything um, off of that site. And we either ship it directly from our warehouse there at the store or we drop ship it to you from the company. And um, the website's doing great. I do a little work on there for our guys. I write our weekly blog that comes out every Wednesday. So uh, you can follow uh, golfhq.com on Facebook. Um, and that'll uh, you'll see that every Wednesday. Um, but, yeah, very exciting. I'm very excited to be back. Uh, I've known, you know, been – you know, these guys are like my family because I worked at golf headquarters from 2001. I started there when I was 18 years old, uh, became assistant manager. And so I worked there from 2001 till 2011. And then in 2008, um, I decided that golf was for me. You know, it was, I don't want to say it was really the only thing I knew, 
but it was the one thing I knew that I loved and I was good at, and I wanted to make sure um, that it was my future. So in 2008, I turned pro. I passed the PGA playing ability test, which is known as the PAT. And uh, Doc and I will kind of talk about that in some upcoming episodes. Um, you know, what goes into the PGA apprenticeship, what to expect, how long it takes, what you have to do. Some, uh, some things have changed a little bit, but it's still pretty old school as far as the uh, program goes. But uh, 2011, I became an assistant golf professional at a private club in Northeast Ohio called Trumbull Country Club, a very old club um, that I believe opened in the 1920s. And um, after that, my wife and I moved to Kentucky, and I was the head golf professional at Longview and Cherry Blossom Golf Club in Georgetown, which is just uh, a little north of Lexington, so right there in central Kentucky. And that is actually... Uh, where I met Doc. Um, I hired Doc. Uh, Doc, so, you know, he'll tell you a little more about himself, but uh, we hired him on as one of our pro shop staffers. And you guys can tell in the first 10, 15 minutes of this episode that um, he's a great guy. He loves the game. He has a tremendous, um, you know, love of the, of the game and of teaching and coaching. He has a great background. I'm um, in education and coaching and, uh, you know, that, that's a perfect guy to have on your side and behind the counter in your pro shop. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Uh, Doc, why don't you uh, kind of let these guys know exactly who, uh, who Doc is and why, um, why you're qualified to uh, sit with me and talk to these people every now and then. Well, I hope we're qualified, and I know we're passionate enough about golf that we're going to have a good time talking about it, but my day job is I'm a full-time college professor, so during the day, uh, I'm called Dr. Goins all day, so that's where the doc comes from. Uh, I worked many years in public education as a school superintendent. I was a high school principal, which quite frankly may have been the toughest job anybody can ever have. Uh, I have a former teacher. Uh, I've coached a lot of different sports, actually coached high school girls golf, had a chance to coach uh, in the Illinois State Golf Tournament in my last season, and that was a special moment. Uh, I actually have a background also in journalism and communications. Before I entered the field of uh, education, uh, I worked in the newspaper business. Uh, you know, as a young adult, uh, I was a sports reporter for a couple smaller papers and covered high school golf, college golf. I'd even had the opportunity to write for a short period of time for a, a magazine uh, in Illinois called Midwest Golf Magazine in the 1990s that is long since gone out of business, but that was a great experience as well. I'm currently a contributing writer for a Sea of Blue, which is, is a Kentucky Wildcat community. So I get a press pass and I get to write about Kentucky basketball and Kentucky football. And I'm right here in central Kentucky in Georgetown. Uh, right in the backyard of Lexington. So I'm a, a huge Kentucky fan, and that's always a lot of fun to to go to the games and, and talk to coaches and players and follow the Cats. But the real reason, Zip, that I'm uh, interested in the podcast and in the golf business is I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I'm 51 <laughs> years old, and uh, I've always wanted to work in the golf industry, and you gave me an opportunity, and now I'm working as a pro shop staffer, as you indicated, I'm now at Cherry Blossom Golf Club in Georgetown, Kentucky, uh, which was voted by Golf Week Magazine as the number one public golf course in the entire state of Kentucky for seven years in a row from 2004 
and 2010. And one of my goals is to enter the PGA apprentice program at the ripe old age of 51. And uh, you referenced the PAT, and I will have to take the PAT. So that's something, um, you know, you're going to be able to help me with, coach and mentor me as I think about trying to tackle that uh, obstacle. And I was thinking about this the other day, Zip. I think you can actually have a caddy in the PAT. So Doc and Zip may actually get to take the show to the golf course when it's PAT time. So what do you think of that? Fantastic idea. You are correct there. Because uh, believe it or not, my wife actually uh, caddied for me when I passed. It was um, September 11th of 2008. And uh, she was there for all 36 holes in one day. <laughs> wow. So uh, we didn't kill each other. She was phenomenal. Um, just a great sport. And she really, I, I just don't think she really knew, um, you know, maybe not just how, maybe not how nervous I was, but it's, it's tough. The passing rate's only 19%. I was the only one in my foursome that day that passed. Um, and these were good players. Um, it's just, just having a number in mind and having to be that long of a day is tough. You know, if it was more of a tournament where you had, you know, your th- your mentality is to beat the other guys, like just like every other tournament is, I think it would be a little different. Um, but when you've got a number in mind that you absolutely have to shoot to continue your, your hopes and dreams, um, it's a little tough, but you know, you can play as many, you know, you can take as many times um, as you need to, unless that's changed in the last couple of years. But yeah, I mean, you referenced a lot of your coaching background. I think that's one thing that you and I, well, I know it's one thing you and I have in common, but um, we've always bounced ideas off each other. I was fortunate enough uh, there in Georgetown to coach, um, coach the um, Scott County Boys High School varsity golf team last year. Uh, Scott County is one of the largest high schools in the state of Kentucky. Um, and I inherited a great team, uh, you know, three seniors, two went on, uh, two signed to play college golf. Um, one's playing division one at Moorhead state and the other one's playing at the university of Campbellsville. Um, and that was the hardest thing to do is tell those guys, Hey, I'm moving back to my hometown. And, you know, it was a one and done type deal, but I had a great relationship with those kids. I, I, I know I'd known them before I took the job. You know, some of them worked in our pro shops and our courses. A lot of them came to our, you know, my summer junior camp every year. Um, and I also coached at Cherry Blossom. I was the head coach of our PGA Junior League team last year, which is a phenomenal program. I know you guys are going to have a team again this year. Um, just, you know, if there's any, if, if there's anything that, you know, if there's one duty that golf courses and golf pros alike um, need to be doing is ensuring that we all have a job in the next five to ten years. And that only happens – with these juniors growing up and playing the game and, and to keep playing the game. Um, so the PGA Junior League is a great organization that is doing just that. Um, and uh, a very exciting thing. That was a great, great um, opportunity for me and a great experience. And, you know, I was just telling some, uh, some people the other day in the golf shop that um, I don't see nearly uh, as many kids as I would like to see coming out to the golf course after school or even during the summer. I mean, we have junior camps. We have the PGA Junior League. But, I mean, I think about, you know, this next generation, 
And I hope the Tiger effect is really going to going to help uh, kids get more excited about golf. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But, you know, 30 years from now, uh, all the guys that I see on a daily basis, you know, aren't going to be there. Uh, or maybe they're not going to be, uh, you know, as active as they as they would like to be. And so we got to get kids playing golf and, and continue to grow the game. Well, Tiger definitely had that impact on me. I mean, his the day he won his third straight U.S. Amateur, in 96, that Sunday, that was the day before uh, my freshman high school golf tryouts. So that was like, honest to God, that was like officially the first day that golf was considered cool and considered a sport. I mean, Tiger did that. And I think you're going to see, I think you're seeing that again. Um, hopefully the kids aren't looking at him like, hey, who's this 44-year-old guy? <laughs> because he was 20 when I was, in, you know, kind of introduced to him and started following him. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's no Jordan Spieth, there's no Brooks Koepka, there's no Jason Day, there's no, you know, Justin Thomas without Tiger. They've said that there, his poster was on their wall. His video game was in their consoles and their, you know, his Nike swoosh was on their hat growing up. I mean, Rory, Rory said that, has said that hundreds of times. So we're all happy Tiger's back. Um, those guys, they're happy he's back because that means the game is healthy. You know, the purses are high. You know, the amount of money they're competing for is just incredible. The sponsors and all that. Um, you know, Tigers doesn't push the needle. He is the needle. Yeah, and we were talking not too long ago about uh, the Tiger effect. The day, the Sunday that he won the Masters and you were working uh, at the store and kind of share those experiences with us, not only watching it there, uh, as things were unfolding, but then the immediate reaction you had from the public that wanted a piece of tiger, whether it was a hat, a shirt, uh, whatever they could find to feel like they were a part of it. Well, it was an exciting day. I mean, no, I really wasn't that bummed out that I didn't get to sit on my couch and watch it. I mean, I was working the store, you know, with our, with a couple of our, you know, our sales staff and we fired up the last round, um, on the simulator, uh, uh, projector screen because you know because it's you know it's hooked up to a laptop so we you know typed in cbs.com and brought it up on a 14 foot screen it was awesome customer you know just just brought just a little extra buzz to the day and it was cool that they teed off early that day to beat the weather um so you know that brought a cool dynamic to it also but yeah tiger effect i mean don't say it doesn't exist because i saw it and witnessed it firsthand just a few minutes after his winning putt was tapped in, uh, the phone rang. A gentleman on the line said, "You know, hey, you know, what time you close?" And I said, "Oh, we, you know, Sundays we close at five o'clock." It was about four forty-five, and he said, "Great." He's like, "I'm on my way." He said, "Do you have the Tiger Woods hats in stock?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "We just got the new ones. You know, we got them in white, black, and red. We got them in on Friday." And he said, "All right, I'm on my way." He said, "I'm going to be cutting it close." You know. But I said, I ah, will wait for you. Don't worry about it. About five to five, the phone rings again. It's the same guy. He said, hey, I just want to let you know, you know, I'm, I'm running a few minutes behind. I'll be in a blue pickup truck. If I get there a little after five, we, you know, will you be there? Will you let me in? He's like, I hate to ask you that, but it's important. You know, and I was on cloud nine. We were all excited. I would have waited for that guy till midnight. So I said, hey, absolutely. Don't worry about it. You have my word. You know, a couple minutes after five, he pulls in and, 
out he jumps from the driver's seat and out comes a little blonde girl from the passenger seat, probably eight or nine years old. And they walked in and we started kind of laughing as we saw each other. And, you know, we said, well, let's see, let me show you the hats. And as we walked over to that section, you know, they, they were just kind of telling me how they spent the whole weekend together on the couch watching. And um, I come to find out doc that it wasn't dad making, you know, um, the little girl ride with him. She it was her idea to go out and find the tiger hat that he was wearing um, while she watched the Masters with Pops on the couch. So she got a white hat. Dad got a black hat. Made their day. They made my day as well. Uh, very very cool. Yeah, and you know Tiger. Uh, you know that obviously he's a hot topic. Every every podcast, every golf show, you can't turn the golf channel on without his name being mentioned probably every two minutes right now, and and rightly so because I, it's been called the greatest comeback in golf history, and and I've even seen a little pushback on that recently. Uh, people talking about Ben Hogan when he was in the bus crash and uh, had a double fracture of his pelvis and came back eleven months later and won the U.S. Open, but when you really stop and think about this objectively. And I looked this morning at, at, at some statistics. Tiger was ranked, the official world golf ranking for Tiger Woods, in December of 2017, he was at 1,199. I mean, he had fell off the planet. Well, I think I was, I th- I think I was at 1,206. So <laughs> you may have been higher <laughs> than Tiger close. Woods at that time, Zip. <laughs> and for him to come back – after all the injuries, knee injuries, neck injuries, back injuries, all the surgeries, all the personal drama he's had in his life, going through the, the, the chipping yips, we'll call them, working with four or five different instructors, absolutely incredible that he was able to come back and win again. Especially how would you like it if every time you open up your laptop, turn on the TV, the radio, what have you, or just out and about running to the mall or Target, for crying out loud, to have peers, Hall of Famers, reporters, uh, talk show hosts tell you, not just, um, you know, guess at it and assume something, but to tell you you're never going to win again. To say it'll never happen again. I mean, to guarantee it. You know, tell him, you know, he should retire. We'll never see him win again. Some people didn't even think they'd ever see him miss a cut again. Some people didn't even think they'd ever see him play a tournament and not withdraw again. I mean, how how hard was it, you know, as a Tiger fan to see him withdraw so many times in the middle of the, in the middle of a round from the fairway, you know, dropping to his knees after a shot out of the rough or, you know, bending down with both knees to pick his tee out of the ground. Um, so, you know, I, a month, it's been a month, a little, you know, right at it, and – I still get chills and goosebumps at that final scene um, behind the 18th green at Augusta. Only Tiger can bring us full circle and have that same embrace and hug with his dad um, after he won in 97 and then to do it again with his kids. Um, Was that 22 years later? Absolutely. uh, Just, just incredible. And, I'm a little surprised he's not playing at Wells Fargo. So he's going to go a whole month um, between the Masters and because the next time he's playing is going to be the PGA. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, he's, he kind of took it lightly and said, hey, man, I'm celebrating. And that's the first time we ever heard Tiger say that because 
he used to enter every tournament expecting to win, and that was the ultimate goal. I'm here to win. So celebrating wasn't, you know, always the norm with him and his camp because it was expected for him to win. Now he's really taking it all in stride. He's enjoying it, taking the kids to soccer practice and all that stuff. What are your thoughts on him not teeing it up for a month between majors? Well, you know, he, he, he's always had a history of taking what I would call significant periods of time off. And, you know, he, his schedule is always centered around the majors. And you know he's hitting a ton of balls at home. He's probably playing with his buddies. So it's not like he's not touching a golf club at all. But I think at this point in his career, and rightly so, he's thinking about the big events. He's thinking about the majors. And, uh, you know, how about the guy that went to Las Vegas and put money on TW to win? How much money did that guy make? I mean, you talk about uh, a courageous bet. That was probably one that the bookmakers are reeling over still. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it's incredible that uh, he had the, you know, what were, what were his odds going into that? I can't remember. But, um, you know, I don't I don't think he was the favorite, but he was playing well um, leading up to it. But yeah, I mean, no one, no one ever used to make that much bet entire because he was always the favorite at like you know. So, um, yeah, that guy cleaned house, and I think we all cashed in as well, being being around and being able to uh, to witness that. I mean, I felt like I won that day, that's for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. And you know, if you if you just separate all of the the human interest stuff about his life and what he's been through with all his physical ailments, just take it from the perspective of his golf swing, how many different times he's had to change his golf swing just because his back and his knee and his body would not let him swing the club the same way it did when he was, you know, 23 years old to go from Butch Harmon to Hank Haney to Sean Foley. And then finally to wrap it up with Chris Como, uh, you know, it's amazing how many times he rebuilt a swing that I would argue was flawless to begin with. Yeah. You know, everyone always, the last five, six, seven years, people have asked, you know, why didn't he swallow his pride? Call Butch up. He had the best swing with Butch, um, you know, Harmon. Um, but, you know, that was a different Tiger. That, that was 22-year-old Tiger. Um, then when he moved on to Hank, you know, Hank Haney, I mean, they built, had to build a swing to favor Tiger's knee. Um, and then with Foley, it was all kind of analytical. And, um, you know, Fol- Sean Foley – Smart guy. I love hearing him speak. Um, I don't agree with a lot of the his points and philosophies, but that's okay. Um, he, I just, you know, I don't – that dynamic was, was different, and a lot of people can say what they want, but Tiger won five tournaments in 2013, um, you know, was player of the year. So Tiger knows what he's doing. When you're in the spotlight – I mean, you're in the spotlight for the bad and the good, and you got to expect expect it from all from all angles. Which is, I, I know it's tough, but hey, not only is Tiger physically, you know, and athletically gifted, but outside of Jack, um, Tiger is definitely the toughest mentally that you know of an athlete that I've ever seen. And I'm sure you've ever seen. Yeah, w- without question. And if you just take a just a real cursory look at uh, what Tiger did under each teacher, you know, with Butch Harmon, uh, Tiger had 34 wins and eight majors. With Hank, 
31 wins and six majors. So there are the 14 majors right there between 1996 and 2010. He did win eight times with Sean Foley, but did not win a major. And then uh, he was only with Chris Como for 15 starts and was right. winless. So right. from, from 2010 to, uh, you know, just the last year, you know, he was really kind of in a, in a bad place, probably, you know, mentally and physically, just not being able to get out and compete. Hank Haney had a lot of pressure on him. They all said, you know, that's a that Hank had the toughest job to take over after Butch and to, you know, to meet Tiger's goals and expectations and the demand and the 14-hour practice days at Alworth, you know. And I, I think Chris Como <laughs> had a pretty tough job because that was a totally different Tiger. That was a physically and mentally – broken down Tiger Woods uh, publicly. He was put through the ringer. Um, and then, you know, just physically, you know, um, all the back surgeries, knee surgeries, all the criticism. So I bet that was a pretty tough gig for Chris. I don't know if I would have won. I mean, tough to pass on that job, but I wouldn't blame him if he did. And, you know, another thing, Zip, that I found really fascinating throughout Tiger's career um, and, and you may disagree with me on this, but I really felt like for a lot of his his playing career early, he was playing with inferior equipment. I've, I've never been a big Nike golf club or golf ball guy. Uh, he had a lot of success with the TW brand, and you could still buy shirts and hats and all that stuff. As you well know, you're going to continue to get flooded for those requests. But, uh, you know, now he's playing tailor-made. And uh, just kind of what are your thoughts on Tiger Woods and equipment over the years? Well, I love you, buddy, but I got to disagree with you a little bit. I understand where you're coming from, and it's hard to – it's, you know, Phil Mickelson made that pretty public, his thoughts on Nike and uh, Tiger playing and fear equipment. I think that was back in, like, 04. Um, you know, I've been, a, I've been in the business and involved, you know, since Nike – when Nike started and when they ended – um, yeah, their first run of equipment was not great um, in the early 2000s. Um, they did not have a factory or a plant in the United States when they first launched their golf division. Um, so they were kind of cherry picking, um, you know, from other companies in production. Um, when they hired, you know, t Nike's going to throw a ton of money at somebody, um, at big names, just – just to say they're the best and just to stay number one um, with any division, Jordan shoes, uh, whatever. Um, and, you know, they hired Tom Stites, uh, Mizuno's lead club designer. And when they brought him aboard and got their, um, their ball plant and their, um, their club assembly plant in Texas going, you know, their stuff got a lot better. Um, obviously, you know, Tom coming from Mizuno, we already touched on it at the beginning of the show. I feel the best forged irons out there. Um, Nike's irons got pretty good, and we sold a lot of them. Yeah, it was because the swoosh looked cool on a golf club. Um, yeah, it was because Tiger was the number one player in the world. But they performed. Um, you know, Tiger played Mizuno MP14s in college. And when he turned pro, he signed on with Titleist for his bag and club deal. And his Titleist blades looked an awfully lot like those MP14s. So what I'm saying is, you know, 
he has a hand in every club that um, the company he's representing designs. So he, you know, those were, I'm not saying those weren't title stockers. They certainly were, but he wanted them to look a certain way. Um, and they definitely did, you know, and same thing with his Nike victory red blades. When he went to those, they had the rounded toe, just like the, the previous two. And these tailor maids it is nothing different. They look exactly Tiger knows what he wants to look at, what it, what it, what he wants it to feel like, what he wants it to fly like. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, I, I think 06, 07, 08, I think Nike was putting out some good stuff. Um, yeah, it wasn't Ping, it wasn't Callaway, it wasn't Titleist, but, um, you know, and also, you know, the golf ball he played was, um, you know, we couldn't buy it. I mean, yeah, they had a T- Tiger Woods Tour Accuracy golf ball stand with his logo on the shelves that you could buy, but Tiger has a lot of say. You know, he plays a very high spinning golf ball that you and I wouldn't want to play anyways. So, you know, no matter what it says on it, he, um, you know, it's made for him. And um, I just, you know, don't buy into that argument as much as some, but that's okay. Well, and, and, you know, that's uh, very well said because you probably have a better uh, understanding of, uh, you know, equipment than, than the average Joe. So, uh, you know, Tiger will continue to play well, in my opinion, regardless of what club he has in his hand, whether it's a, a Mizuno driver or a TaylorMade or Callaway or whatever the case may be. But I think the one thing we can both agree on is when you talk about the all-time greats in the game, you're looking at Tiger and Jack head to head right now as the greatest players of all time, which is a really good segue into our next topic. Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, you and I have had these, this, these little fun discussions behind the pro shop counter, you know, you hear people talk about this on some of your sports talk shows, you know, especially the ones where they yell at each other. They always end up turning off, um, you know, a little barbershop conversation or water cooler in the office type deal. You know, who's, Who's the four faces on our Mount Rushmore of golf? It's totally opinionated. There's no wrong answer. Um, but, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, just agree right now. I mean, you know, Tiger actually might be the mountain itself, and you can carve the faces on there. We say Tiger's the needle. Tiger might actually be the golf mountain. But um, Tiger and Jack, they're on mine. I'm sure they're on yours. Oh, yeah, without question. And – uh, you know, you look at uh, the fact that Tiger has now won 81 times, which, I mean, that's a staggering statistic. So he only has one more uh, win to catch uh, Sam Snead's 82 victories for the all-time career wins on PGA Tour. But you look at Jack's record. He's won 73 times. He's won more majors than anyone, 18 majors. And I'll even go back to the equipment argument. And, uh, you know, Jack, Jack was at his peak during the late 60s and throughout the 70s. Again, played most of his career with a persimmon driver and a Bellotta golf ball. And uh, I, I just wonder what a Jack Nicholas would have done in the 21st century. Yeah, absolutely. He killed the ball. He was one of the longest players out there at that time. Strong hands, but soft hands when he needed it, you know, in the short game department. Um, again, mentally tough. He was, a men- you know, the toughest guy out there. He was a grinder when he was playing bad, but he was just a a superhero when he was playing good. And, you know, this uh, this Masters this year with Tiger doing what he did had a little Jack in 86 kind of feel to it. I mean, Tiger went 11 years 
um, without a major. And uh, what, 14 years um, since he last won at Augusta. So I never thought he'd have that kind of gap, but a lot, you know, there's a lot of reasons why he had that gap that we just covered. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm an Ohio guy, obviously a huge diehard Ohio State fan. Um, so I do, I, I'm a big Jack fan, and I was actually lucky enough to meet him. Um, funny story, you know, I was lucky enough to play uh, Muirfield Village back in 2007, the Monday after the memorial ended um, that Sunday. And uh, my group and I, we were walking down the fairway uh, with our drivers in our hands. And uh, all of a sudden, we're about to cross the cart path pass, you know, crosses the fairway here. And here comes the golf cart. And it was like I saw a ghost. It was Jack Nicholas, the superintendent of the club, and the um, general manager of Muirfield Village. And they, he, I mean, they stopped right in our, tra- I mean, right in our tracks. And, uh, you know, asked, you know, how we're playing, enjoying the day. And we were just taken back. Of course, we shook his hand and we thanked him for having us. And it was funny. He didn't even know. We were there for a uh, pro-am for the volunteers, you know, all for the, for the memorial. And, you know, and he, it was kind of funny. He didn't, you know, he's like, well, what, what do you got, you know, who are you here with? Who are you playing with? You know, what's going on? It was funny. And of course, the biggest regret is on that walking to that tee box, our caddies hand us our drivers and they disappeared down the fairway with our bags to four caddy to spot balls. So I, my cell phone was in my bag, which obviously has my camera on it. No pen, no marker, no nothing. So all I have is the visual memory and the feel of Jack's handshake. I have no picture of that moment, unfortunately. Well, you know, it's a great first episode when you get to, uh, you know, kind of walk us through a Jack Nicholas encounter. So just to be in the presence of the Golden Bear uh, at his place has to be uh, an awesome experience. Yep, very, very cool. Uh, something I'll never forget. Um, Doc, why don't you tell us who your third face is on your golf Mount Rushmore? Well, kind of going through the list, and not only did I, I list my four on Mount Rushmore of golf, but also I made a large list of people that I left off because I figured we'd probably also go through those. But number three, uh, in my opinion, is the Hawk, Ben Hogan. And uh, for a lot of different reasons, uh, you know, first of all, I really believe he's the best ball striker of all time. He's, you know, he has that model golf swing. I still have a picture of him hitting the one iron at Marion it's a black and white print framed in my living room right now so that is an iconic photograph and he's just uh one of the all-time greats and you think about golf instruction you know the book five lessons is probably um you know the bible of golf instruction uh the first one really to show us that pane of glass and talk about swing plane uh so I, I just really felt like Hogan deserved a place uh on that Mount Rushmore yeah, the Five Lessons book uh, is still current today. I mean, as far as, you know, the philosophies of the golf swing, one of my favorite teaching books without question. Um, you're, I had Ben Hogan on mine as well. I wanted to have four guys, four players from different eras. Um, but I'm going to have to – I think I'm going to have to put Ben as my – or the Hawk, I'm going to have to put him as my honorable mention, I think. Oh, wow. <laughs> ben Hogan does not make the cut? That was, you know, I, I appreciate everything he did for the game, especially after, you know, his 
um, car accident where they told me never walk again, um, let alone win again, and he won tenfold. Um, Bill, you know, Ben Hogan was a different kind of character. He was a different guy. Um, you know, he his first couple encounters with a young Arnold Palmer out there on tour weren't the most pleasant. Um, but Arnold never, never, uh, you know, never blamed Ben. Never, um, never, you know, had a, sh- a chip on his shoulder about him. He always respected him. And uh, speaking of the King, that is my third face on Mount Rushmore. I just, I love Arnold Palmer. He's the King. I love him. Um, one of my favorites of all time, just a larger than life guy. Um, you know, I still remember where I was when I heard the news of his passing, you know, I had a lump in my throat. I was in Myrtle beach with my wife eating dinner and it came across on my phone and uh sad day for the, just not the game of golf, the world. I mean, you could, you could mail a used Kleenex to his pro shop in Latrobe to his office and you can guarantee it might have taken a couple of weeks, but you were getting that used Kleenex sent back in the mail and he was signing because he signed everything you mailed him. He signed autographs till, you know, till the sunset um, at tournament st- spots. Um, he was a regular at Bay Hill. You know, you could just walk in and you know, he might be at the bar drinking an Arnold Palmer or having lunch. Uh, or he might even be on the first tee. You know, he he might be in the group behind you or ahead of you. You know, who's this, who's who's hitting into us? Oh my God, it's Arnold Palmer. So I just um, well, I, what can you say? Just uh, one of the best guys, not just to ever grace golf, but to grace the world of sports. I mean, Arnie was so influential in actually the launch of the PGA Tour. I mean, he helped found the golf. He founded the Golf Channel. Um, you know, and he was very. Um, big when golf started to become uh, more popular and be televised. He had a big hand in that, getting golf tournaments on TV more. And that was kind of the start of Arnie's army, um, you know, and the large galleries uh, breaking down the the uh, ropes and following him. So he had a lot of swagger as a young guy, and especially at the turn of color TV and had that lashing um, – kind of swing and play that big old draw and just a lot of fun to watch a whole lot of character and um he's definitely missed yeah and i couldn't agree more and and the king arnold palmer is the fourth person on my mount rushmore of golf for all the reasons uh, that you just mentioned and so many more so uh just uh incredible ambassador uh for the game for so many years i did have a chance to go to bay hill unfortunately i did not get a chance to see arnie he wasn't there that day but just to walk around the property you kind of had that spiritual feeling that uh you were at his place and really being there so but now here's the real big question uh to make an arnold palmer um you know I've always thought that it's two-thirds iced tea, one-third lemonade. What are your thoughts on making the perfect Arnold Palmer? I thought it was half and half. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to dispute that, Zip. I think it's two-thirds iced tea and a third lemonade. All right, I'll, write that, I'll remember that. Now you can even get, um, you know, put your party hat on because you can do iced tea-flavored vodka now with lemonade. Oh, yeah. Is that the John Daly? There you go. That's yes. That's the John Daly. The John Daly. <laughs> There's actually a really good. Remember those old ESPN 
this is Sports Center commercials. Uh, there's yep. one Arnie is in the ESPN cafeteria and he goes and he gets a uh, makes an Arnold Palmer himself. And I think yeah. you will see Zip that it's two thirds ice, right. one third lemonade. But uh, good eye, good eye there. We'll we'll come back and verify that at a later date. So my four on the golf Mount Rushmore would be Tiger and Jack. Uh, ben Hogan and Arnold Palmer. So I've got to know. I'm dying to know. Who did I leave off? Who did Zip put in that other spot? Drum roll. Boy, we boring. So we got. So I have Tiger, Jack, and Arnie. You have Tiger, Jack, Arnie, and the Hawk, Ben Hogan. Like I said, I dropped Ben Hogan, um, and I went with Mr. Bobby Jones. Can't argue there. Good um, call. Absolutely. Uh, obviously. Won the career Grand Slam. Grand Slam back then was a little different. Uh, they counted the USAM and the British AM at that time. Uh, but just a unique story. Um, talk about what Jack, you know, the equipment Jack played with to set his records. I mean, I don't know what Bobby Jones played with, a stick and a, a goose egg or something. A mashy and a brassy and a – I don't know what else. I think the putter was Calamity Jane. Calamity Jane, oh, there you go. That's – yeah, that, that's yeah. – I don't know if Mizuno was stamped on the back of Bobby Jones' putter. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but, uh, you know, just a unique story. You know, there wasn't a lot of money in pro golf back then, so the man never turned pro. I think he retired from the game at like 28 years old. Very influential in the Georgia golf scene. Uh, you know, the inception of um, East Lake in Atlanta where we have the tour championship every year. Um, and his, him and his family, very influential in the uh, creation of, uh, you know, Augusta National, what we call the Masters today. So, uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to go early, you know, um, for one of my guys on the Mount Rushmore, and Bobby Jones is uh, is the pick. Yeah, certainly can't argue that. I mean, one of the greatest of all time. So, I guess that begs the question, who did we leave off, Zip? I mean, I know there's a long list. I'm looking at mine. Well, I mean, I left off Ben Hogan. Um, you know, you can argue, you can make a strong argument for a lot of guys because there's, you know, somebody that has the playing resume of all, you know, of of the top guys that we just named, but also has the um, uh, the PR, the you know, the public relations, and was is just another ambassador of global golf. You know, is Gary Player. Um, big three. Yeah. Gary player is a cool dude in my book. Uh, I know I say that because I know he can do more push ups and sit ups than me and he's like 85 years old. So, <laughs> um, I don't, I think he used to pull semi trucks with his teeth to get ready for tournaments. I mean, the guys, the guy's a machine. I know yeah, he's he only, is. he's only like five foot eight, but, uh, strong as a bull. Played the game with a lot of swagger, head to toe in black, looking like Johnny Cash out there. Um, but he, he he's a kind guy. No one ever says anything bad about him. You easily could have put his face up on that mountain. Um, and I'm going to present you with this, something I thought about the last couple of years. And this is a guy you'll say that could definitely be an honorable mention for Mount Rushmore. But they all, you know, they used to have um, the big three back in the 80s and early 90s, hit the uh, ceremonial tee shot before the first round at the Masters every year. And that was Byron Nelson, Gene Sarazen, and Slam and Sam Sneed. Now, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, it was Arnie, Jack, 
and Gary. Um, since Arnie's passing, do you think maybe they're just holding off out of respect to Arnie or maybe being just too close, you know, too early yet to replace that third spot with the likes of, say, Tom Watson? Yeah, and we've kind of kicked this around a little bit too. Um, you know, we've both been on the grounds at Augusta National. It's a majestic place. And, folks, if you ever get a chance to go, uh, even do a practice round, you know, put that on your bucket list. But we both know, Zip, those folks that wear the green jackets do things a little bit differently. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're, gonna... they're not going to be persuaded to change their mind on too many things. But I actually had Tom Watson on my really short list uh, to join the group there on Mount Rushmore. I mean, the guy won eight majors. And, uh, you know, I actually had a chance to watch him practice for about a half an hour uh, when they had the senior PGA championship at Valhalla here a few years back in Louisville, Kentucky. And even at his age, the guy is a tireless worker and he's just a gritty competitor. And to leave him off, um, you know, that's tough because he, he's had such a profound impact uh, on the game. Well, what happens when we get older, you know, God forbid, older, slower and fatter? Our golf swing gets just a little shorter, right? Tom Watson is one of the guys that his swing, he's so flexible. I mean, his swing looks – his move looks the same. When I watch highlights from 1985 and I watch him hit balls, you know, this year, I mean, just awesome. It's identical. And I don't think anybody played British Open-style courses better than Tom Watson. Yeah, and I yeah you know, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, two guys that will never have a problem getting it past parallel are Tom Watson and John Daly because those guys <laughs> either were blessed with great flexibility or uh, just a great genes. But, uh, yeah, two, two golf swings there that are pretty long and fluid, but they've both been able to win majors. Now, another guy that I had, and uh, I'm a big Phil Mickelson fan, as you know, Zip, and looking at his stats – a guy that wins 43 times in five majors, and if not for a certain Eldrick Tiger Woods, would probably be the greatest player of this generation. And all he has to do is make, make par on the last hole of the U.S. Open, and he would, uh, would have won all four major championships, but the guy just couldn't get it done. Now, you know, he went years and didn't get it done at any majors. So, you know, he had that, that – uh, title that no one wants to have you know it's kind of like a uh, uh backhanded compliment you're you're the best player without a major he had to hear that for 15 16 years um but i was i'm a phil fan bigger fan of phil's now than i was in my younger days you know no one's put their foot in their mouth more than phil but he admits it openly um yeah Wingfoot is sad to watch um, hitting it off the hospitality tent, then into a trash can. Yeah, that was tough. But the man figured out how to get it done. You know, he's so I was very happy for him when he finally broke through and won at Augusta and jumped four inches off the ground. Um, and you know, Phil has really the last couple of years has really utilized social media in a very cool way. You know, he does it the right way. Doesn't take himself too seriously. I don't know if you've seen any of his Instagram or um, Twitter or YouTube videos lately. Uh, the guy's a riot. We always heard that he's a riot behind closed doors at President's Cup team rooms and Briar Cup team rooms. He's got to be funny and he's got to be charming because now even Tiger likes him these days. So what's that tell you? 
Yeah, I mean, he's, he's hysterical. If you get a chance to follow him on Instagram or, or Twitter, he's giving tips now. And, and the big thing right now is, uh, you know, work out so you can get Phil Mickelson's calves. I guess he's got the greatest calves of all time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So if, as I look at who else we left off, uh, you know, Sammy Sneed with 82 career wins. We talked about him. Byron Nelson was on a hot streak there. I think he won 11 uh, events in a row. Uh, we, you know, you have to go back, but you think about someone like Walter Hagen, who won 11 majors and really dominated throughout the 1920s. And then I was thinking about a female. You know, we, we certainly want to be respectful to our female listeners out there. You almost have to put Annika Sornstam on any kind of Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame. She won 72 times, 10 majors, and was player of the year on the LPGA Tour eight different times. So that is our Mount Rushmore of golf, and we want to hear from you. Who would you put on the Mount Rushmore of golf? So what we're going to do to celebrate our new sponsorship with GolfHQ.com, we want to hear from you. So you can contact us on uh, Gmail at uh, docandzip at gmail.com. You can also follow us and DM us at uh, our Twitter page, which is DTMGolfPod. We want to know who's on your Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame for golf. And uh, Zip and I are going to pick a winner. And the winner's going to get a dozen Titleist Pro V1 golf balls from GolfHQ.com. So how cool is that, Zip? That's right. We're uh, kicking it off with a bang with a giveaway. How cool is that? Um, you know, we might have seven listeners. We might have 700. So, so someone's getting a dozen Pro V1X golf balls. They're going to say zip on the side. I don't think anybody cares about that, right? Just cross. You can put a little, you know, side stamp or, a, you know, put that line on your ball to line up your putts if you want to cross zip out. These know. will not be x out. I just want to verify <laughs> that these are brand new Pro V1s. From my own personal uh, stock. So you can, um, you can move it like zip. So Which we're going to try to have the ways from time to time. And uh, just to reward you, our loyal listeners out there, and we want to hear from you too. So be sure to follow us on the Twitter page, and we're going to have some other social media up and going uh, to connect with you because we want to hear from you, the listeners. So, hey, you know what, Zip? That's really a wrap on our first episode. We covered a lot of grounds and a lot of great conversations. Folks, in the future, we're going to bring some guests on. Uh, we're going to have some uh, great conversations with Guys that are guys and gals that are still playing the game, uh, some caddies that are out there, some golf instructors, maybe some college coaches, um, and and certainly people in the golf industry. And and Zip's going to kind of uh, walk us through that um, area with his expertise as a golf professional and also working there uh, in the golf industry. So with that, Zip, it's all yours. I'm going to let you get us into the clubhouse. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate it. No doubt. Uh... A lot of exciting things are planned for future episodes, guys. Um, you know, we're just here, two guys who love the game, uh, have different paths to it, but, um, you know, share the same passion and ideas and thoughts. And, you know, that's, we just hope uh, we're entertaining enough to make the cut and get on your playlist, whether you're driving to work, running on the treadmill, you know, listening in the office, washing dishes, cooking dinner, whatever you may be doing when you listen to your favorite podcast, fire us up. Always keep us in mind. A lot of uh, a lot of great conversations are planned and discussions with some great guests. Um, you know, like uh, Doc touched on a little bit, um, some PGA section pros, caddies, um, 
you know, we're both lucky to have some relationships and friendships with some PGA Tour players that we're going to try to get on. Um, you know, we'll talk about everything from instruction to what's happening in the world of golf, uh, what happened in this week's tournament, uh, what's going to happen in next week's tournament. You know, um, some of our own personal stories of, you know, great places we've been able to play, or we might have an episode of, um, you know, what to do if you're attending the Masters for the first time, or kind of our go-to guide, if you will. Um, you know, I just hope that uh, everyone enjoyed themselves. I know we did. This is something uh, we're so happy and so grateful to finally come to fruition here. Uh, I'm stoked to be a part of it. And uh, we got a lot of exciting things coming your way. So, so yeah, tweet at us, email us, um, you know, tell us what you enjoyed, what you liked, what you didn't like. Just, uh, you know, reach out to us on all our social media platforms. And uh, as always, um, each and every down the Middle podcast is brought to you by GolfHQ.com. From tee to green and head to toe, GolfHQ.com is the place to go. Um, until next time, Doc, I appreciate it, my friend. Yep, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, folks, be sure to check out the website. Be sure to hit us up on social media. We want to hear from you. And until next time, folks, do what you can to keep it down the middle. On behalf of Zip and Doc here at the uh, Down the Middle golf podcast uh we just want to give a big shout out big congratulations um to a good friend of ours and a fellow pro shop staffer at longview and cherry blossom he's actually won the cherry blossom golf club um club championship a couple times uh mr billy tom Sargent, who is a senior at western kentucky university um member of the men's uh golf program there for the last four years at wku the hilltoppers he is uh, headed to Athens, Georgia, uh, for the Division I Men's Golf uh, Regionals Championship, and he is going as an individual. Um, this is the second time he's gone as an individual and once um, as a team there in his college career, and uh, we wish him all the best. We'll be keeping tabs on him and maybe even have him on as a guest in the future. World-class kid and uh, just a world-class player, um, Sky's the limit for him. We wish him wish him well coming up and uh, moving forward. Um, kid's got a lot of game and uh, just a great attitude. So best of luck to BT. Down the Middle with Doc and Zip is sponsored by GolfHQ.com. From tee to green and head to toe, GolfHQ.com is the place to go. We also want to tell you about the perfect spot for your next golf trip with stay-and-play packages available at Cherry Blossom and Longview Golf Clubs in historic Georgetown, Kentucky. Located just 12 miles from Lexington, your visit to the heart of horse country not only includes two great golf courses, but just might lead you to attractions such as the Keeneland Racetrack, a University of Kentucky sporting event, or a trip down the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. To book your golf trip, visit longviewgolfclub.com.